Welcome to another edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast brought to you by Courtroom Sciences, Inc. Dr. Steve Wood with me today is Dr. Bill Kanaski. Bill, how's it going there in Florida? It's absolutely beautiful. You've heard the phrase like, I'm on cloud nine. You've heard yeah. that? Mm-hmm. I'm on cloud 10. I just invented, I'm on cloud 10. That's mu- that must be oh, good then. So good. It, I'm well, glad. It's, it's, it's February. It's 79 degrees. I'm in shorts and a t-shirt. I'm outside. I mean, yeah, what more can you put? And know what I had? Know, know what we made this week? Chili with bison meat. You ever have bison meat? I have not, no. Super expensive, but man, very lean, very, very tasty. You may want to throw that out there next time you're making your your chili. I'd go, I'd go bison meat all the way. And yeah, you can make bison burgers. It's a, it's now, a big thing. It's a now, big here's thing. the key thing. Now, are you a beans or no beans chili guy? Okay, I am a no beans. See, my wife's beans. I'm no beans. And so we have negotiated a proportion of beans that she likes and that I can tolerate. But any... I'm a no beans guy. Load yeah, it up with testy. meat, load up with onions. I am an onions and cheese guy, though. That's always good. But the beans Absolutely. whole thing here in Texas, the whole chili with beans and no beans is definitely a, a, a point of contention that you don't bring up at parties unless you really want to start a... Well, that, that, yeah, that and uh, that and barbecuing, boy. Yeah. As you you start a, a barroom brawl over that topic. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Well, Bill... I got you today. We, we teed up on a, on a prior episode that we were going to talk about alternative causation. We talked about our bad baby case episode, wanted to talk more about alternative causation and how important it is. But I have a feeling though, before we start, I, I'm sure you got a rant up your sleeve. I'm sure there's something you're itching to get out for. Today. Well, and, 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 and you were part of this experience. Um, we're going to call this the, the, the customer service rant. Yeah. Okay. I know. So where this after, is so after, <laughs> so after our focus group and after a, a decent long drive, you know, we're exhausted. And the only thing we want to do is have some sushi, big sushi guy, just like you are. So I take, so my wife and my son, you know, meet you and I at the sushi restaurant here locally by my house and our server, she was very, okay. First off, she, she was very nice. Very. Yes. Okay, fair enough. She was very, very nice. Uh, it was a very uh, friendly greeting, right? And she brought us some waters and she said, you know, so she's, so she's batting a thousand so far, right? Okay, so then she is, so right on track, she says, may I get your, your drink orders? And my wife orders a sangria and you and I look and, and we looked up and she walked away. <laughs> she, she just abandoned you and I. And you and I are looking at each other like, what the hell is going on here? So then, which, by the way, this place, like, you're not going to get hammered in this place. It's, it takes entirely, everything takes too long. So finally, after, what, seven minutes, she comes back with this sangria. And I'm looking at her like, what am I on the, am I on the pay no mind list, right? <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I should have. And so then we, you know, we get our drinks. Okay. So, you know, strike one. So then, you know, we put in our orders. And told her that we needed to split the check. That's this is going to get told in about a minute and a half. Um, we we both get miso soup. I love miso soup. Okay, this place was. Did you like that miso soup? It was yeah, it was good. Yeah, really, really good. So at so I'm sitting on the far end. You're close closest to her. She goes to hand me my miso soup, and spells spills a good 
third of it all over your cell phone. Yeah. I'm still smelling miso when I take phone calls now. Like, so when you're like this, you can still smell the miso <laughs> yeah. soup. Yeah. Okay, it reminds disgusting. me of the dinner. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, now granted, I yeah, kind of laughed it off. You wiped off your phone whatever. And so, you know, get around miso soup. Brings out the food. I thought I thought the food was great. You 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 didn't like that one roll, did you? I liked them like, all. Yeah, no, I liked it. But I thought yeah, one the, 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 the Mexican roll was was a little was a little strange. Yeah, but anything I don't like anything Japanese and Mexican is really not a, a good mix. And any <laughs> it sounded, part of it sounded good in theory. Yeah, uh, so I don't I don't know what kind of where your your brain was for that. <laughs> so then the check. So we tell her how we want to split the check because technically you and I are still working, right? And she completely screws up the check, right? Now, at this point, how long have we been there? Like, like we want to go home, you know, have a couple of beers and watch college basketball. And it's just taking forever, taking forever, taking forever. So she finally, like, like I'm dying. Like, I want to go to sleep. She finally gets the, finally gets the check right. And as I go to hand her my Amex card, she, my, she drops it. <laughs> in a, uh, uh, she drops it in a bowl that had what? What I think uh, my son Dean had like orange chicken or something. Yeah, yeah. And all the sauce was in the bottom because he took the rest home. She drops my Amex in the bowl and it just sinks to the bottom. <laughs> so now, okay, so my Amex smells like orange chicken. Your phone smells like miso. Yeah. But here's the thing: I I, I tipped her well. I couldn't get. She was too nice. Yeah, she was definitely, it was probably one of those, she was newer and she was just having a bad day. It would have been different if she wouldn't have had such a good attitude, but she was just generally a, a pleasant person. Yeah, so I guess that wasn't much of a rant. I think it's kind of a funny story, but yeah. Well, let's not forget you, let's not forget you left your doggy bag and she had to run no, about. I did not leave my doggy bag. My son left the doggy bag and then she chased us into the parking lot to give us the the doggy bag so the, the, the irony behind that is the walk on the way to the car i'm ranting to my son how terrible that experience just was and the, of course the poor thing chases us down and says sir you forgot your food no. i looked at the before well, i looked at my son i said idiot you know like dummy <laughs> and then I, I looked at her like thank and i felt terrible because i had just been you know complaining about it for the last 45 seconds so anyway we serve we've survived sushi and now we're going to look at alternative. Speaking of causation, I, I think maybe in that particular sushi case, I'm thinking lack of experience and expertise would, would be my causation theory. Would you have an alternative causation theory? And her, I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, my alternative causation maybe just doesn't pay attention. Lack of detail. Maybe lack not. of detail. Yeah. I'm so guilty of that. But let's talk about this. Um, what we have learned, I mean, I don't like working on causation cases. I don't like it. Uh, there are some cases where uh, I have another case right now where, I mean, we're screwed on liability. I mean, we screwed up and the whole thing's on videotape and we're just arguing causation. So in that case, you have no choice but to come out firing on the alternative causation. But I think the key is when liabilities may be up in the air, Right. I think the kind of the general habit is to not talk about alternative causation until down the road, mm -hmm. which may in some cases be too late. So when we've done podcast, I do speeches on this when we talk about, you know, construction of, you know, opening statement. I say, you know, in, in the first 15 to 30 seconds, you better put something else on trial. 
not 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 your not your client. And I think uh, in some of the recent projects we have seen, the defense attorneys have come out with the "we didn't do it" defense. Right. <laughs> we we didn't we did not screw this up. We promise. Rather than jumping to alternative uh, causation, because I think that's just kind of how people are wired. You tend to well, hell, look at the verdict form. Right. Right. It starts with liability, then it goes to causation, then it goes to damages. And so I think that's how that's how many cases get argued. But I don't think that's necessarily the most effective way to do it. Correct. No, and I think we, we've seen very recently is that jurors are looking for alternative causation. They're looking yeah. for reasons, you know, just as humans, think about when anything happens, you know, yeah. in, in life, everybody always wants to figure out, well, why did this happen? Why did this happen? And the, we don't know why it happened is usually never satisfying, right? People are yeah. upset with that. So when you have a situation where you're pointing towards one cause and you have the other side going, well, it's the plaintiff's burden to prove that that's what it was. We don't really know what it was, but it's their burden to prove what it was. I just don't think that sits well with jurors. And it, it, here's the thing. They're instructed by the judge that the plaintiff has the burden of proof on causation. And Steve, the jurors just don't care. No. Jurors, I mean, on, on, our, on our most recent one, right? We took votes on liability. Every single liability vote was a yes vote on causation. With, exactly. with no good with no good reason they just give it to them and so i think again i think it's a case-by-case -case basis but i think defense attorneys can attack you know an alternative causation hard and at least plant that seed give them something because here's here's the thing if you don't i mean how many jurors are going to sit in the juror room saying yeah i don't think they met the burden of proof on causation yeah <laughs> I'm voting exactly they, they, they don't, don't talk do like that. that right you have to tell the you have to give the jury weaponry and the jury is going to use that weaponry in deliberations to say, you know, it wasn't Professor Plum with the candlestick in the lobby. It was it was it was it was this. So I think that's something that attorneys are going to need to start doing more of in the future, particularly uh, on the types of cases uh, that we work on where you have high exposure and the jury's going to want answers. And I'm, I'm just not sure when it comes to burden of proof that. Um, that it's just, it's just not a really good argument, is it? Yeah, no, I don't think that that's a, a great argument because I think as we see all the time, to your point about how the negligence and the causation votes lined up exactly, yeah. it's because people have a really hard time of identifying both if someone is negligent and then whether or not that negligence caused the actual injury. And without yeah. having that additional cause, it, it makes it easy for them to go A to B without any real hesitation or even really understanding of why they're going from A to B. But yeah. as we know, if, if, for example, they were to say negligence, but say no on causation, then they're not making it to damages. So it becomes extremely important to be able to give them the weaponry and give them the understanding so that they might say yes to one, but no to the next one. Yeah. And they don't like, they don't like the way it's Remember the jurors were asking us like, now, wait a second. I want to give like, it, remember it was like juror number seven she's like well i think i think yeah i vote yes on liability I, i'm voting no on causation but i still want to award money and i'm like well you can't do that she's like well that's okay well then i'm giving you a yes on causation it's like right jesus christ it's oh god so well, it's almost like you and i have talked about right is they want to give them money if they want yeah. to give them money they work backwards to the negligence yeah. and causation right rather than say no 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 you're not getting the damages that way if they realize wait a second, this means I can't give them money. Well, then I'm going to work backwards. And yeah, I'm going to give you the 
information that you need in order to say yes on these because I want to get to damages. Yeah, I tell you, I tell you, the only way to win this battle, it has to start in, in, in Vordir. You have got to bring up these topics in Vordir and I mean, create some real cognitive dissonance because the, the times that I've seen it work effectively, particularly in the mock trial setting, is when you're watching the mock, the, the jurors deliberate and one juror jumps from one to three and a different juror will say, no, oh, no, no. You, you, you can't do that, right? And so to plant that seed in Vordir by explaining all this stuff well ahead of time and then hitting it again and opening and then really pounding it on closing, I think that's really the only shot that you got. But I think, I think you start with that on Vordir and ask some pretty tough questions. Like, you know, you know, okay, so if you see one of your fellow jurors in deliberations jumping from question one to question three, are you going to hold them accountable? Are you going to hold them accountable to the judge's instructions? Those are the types of questions you have to ask. So if it does happen in deliberations, somebody's going to have cognitive dissonance and say, oh, wait a second. Yeah, I'm not really comfortable with that. I mean, I'm on the right track here, right, Steve? <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely agree. And if you can think about sometimes they become problematic jurors in the focus groups because they're always, you know, you, you ask a question and if you don't ask it perfect, they're like, no, wait a second. You ask this or this, that, and the other, but actually those are the type of jurors you want, right? Those are the yeah. jurors that are going to hold both the plaintiff and the defense feet to the fire versus the ones that are just going to say, yeah, whatever. And, you know, and just let you move on. So yeah, yeah. it absolutely becomes extremely important during voir dire to be yeah. asking the type of questions that are going to elicit those. It depends responses, or I need more information or, well, now that's not quite right. You know, would, like I said, they, they, they can be a pain in the butt when you're on the receiving end of it. But at the same time, those are the jurors you want to put on your side from a defense perspective because they're going to see things more objectively and they're going to be the ones to hold people accountable in the jury room. Yeah, and this is, this, is a, this is a touchy subject, but I tell you what, it can work on the right case and plant attorneys don't like it. You know, sometimes, sometimes, Steve, as a defendant, you got to admit liability. Are you aware of the headaches that you, because here's the thing, if you admit liability, a lot of that stuff never comes in. And then you, your question number one is causation, right? The, right. They're, not, they're not arguing about liability. There is no leapfrogging causation, but so many defendants are uncomfortable with that because they, they know they're going to pay something. But I, I still think that's why you mock try these cases. That's why you focus group these cases and see, like we do this, test retest project where on day one you fight on liability you fight on causation see what happens with the damages day two give them liability you just start just take you liability out of the equation do causation you know what if your damages go down by 50 percent right and you don't know Not if you don't yeah well you, you don't know money. if you don't try right you don't know if you don't try so I think that's enough for alternative causation, causation stuff. But those, I think those are the trickiest cases that I consult on. And um, I think, I think without the absence of jury research in those cases is probably like Russian roulette at, at, at this point. So I would say so. Yeah. So um, I think we have some viewer mail. I know you I got some viewer bit. mail. Yeah. Do you want me yeah, to go I first? Got, I got some too. Yeah. Why don't you go first? All right. So this one, I think here is right, is right up your alley. Uh, so I want to save my client money on witness training services. Can I run more than one witness through your training at a time? Or is there a time where I shouldn't? Um, 
Yeah, the answer to both of those is yes. So what we will do for both efficiency and cost savings is the phase one of our training program is mostly didactic and strategic. And you can do that in a group setting and do it highly effectively. That being said, you need individual follow-up sessions that really need to be just, you know, the attorney, the consultant, the witness in the absence uh, of other witnesses, because uh, every witness is going to have unique issues. We don't want to create any performing anxiety in front of other witnesses. And most of all, we don't want to contaminate witness testimony by somebody watching somebody else in the preparation process. So absolutely, we can do that. Um, in other words, if you had six witnesses, doesn't need to take six days. We could probably cut that to four days by rotating, you know, doing our day one of didactic and then rotating people through individually. Answer is absolutely yes. And there's really no problem with that. And the one exception, one exception, um, the former employee. Yeah, they're not going to be taking that. The former employee or the disgruntled former employee, they're not going to be part of that group setting. They shouldn't be part of that group setting. Um, it's just not going to happen. That's that's a good example. The other example, for example, if it was a healthcare case, I would never mix doctors and nurses in the same room for that. For, no, I want my group of doctors here and I want my group of nurses here. Same thing uh, in business litigation or product liability. You know, I don't want a C-level executive sitting there with a middle manager and the same witness preps. I, I think you have to separate it so you have kind of like people because um, I think otherwise it creates some tension and maybe some stress that's unneeded. So I think those are some examples um, in which it would not be a good idea. You'd, you'd have to strati stratify your, your witnesses and then separate them in the groups. That's all good. I think one other thing I'd add on to that as well is that highly emotional witness too. That, oh, yeah. you know, for example, we work with bus drivers, train operators, and all, mm -hmm. a lot of others that if they have a lot of emotional stuff, right, they're not going to feel comfortable, nor would yeah. you want them to get that emotion out in another group of other people, because then you yeah, you're right. potentially bring up things that they don't need to see. So I think, yeah, to your point is there's many times that you can do it in a group setting, but you also have to be smart about it. So you can save yeah. money, but at the same time, you don't want to save money, have a group setting at the cost of hurting your case either. Exactly. That's a really good question. Yes. All right. I got one for you here. All right. Everybody's been asked about this. Does do, 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 do eh. right, let's try that again. Um, does a juror's social media activity in any way predict outcome of verdict? You know, I, this is a, this is a tricky one because I was wondering, because here's the one thing I do know, but I think, I think that there's a, um, and we have to, I think we have some data. I, we could probably collect this more accurately. I'm not convinced. Yeah. If you get 10 people, you know, maybe nine of them have social media accounts. I'm not sure all nine are really active on them and how much, you know, I mean, I know people that are on Facebook every 30 minutes, much less every day. Um, I've never had a Facebook account. You know, I don't use <laughs> Twitter. Um, then some people I think may have an account and maybe it's just for family. They check it every couple of weeks. Is there any predictive utility when, particularly during jury selection of people's social media activity? I guess the biggest thing I would say as far as that goes is 
what's their what's their activity look like right is it like yeah. are you posting time? angry things a lot that exactly. i would want to know that are you <laughs> yeah. posting pictures of your dog you know yeah. every every or, but are, are you posting pictures that are inflammatory have a political yeah. tinge to them like you said are angry or talking about the some injustice that happened so i think you know it really it depends and, and it might be one thing too where someone posts two things but those two things are very very yeah. emotional are highly you know inflammatory yeah. whereas someone else might post a hundred things that are highly inflammatory i mean i think to each one those are things that need to be taken in consideration so i think not necessarily the number but more or less the context with which they're being posted and also that being said um there is the phenomenon again this is why i don't put a lot of stock into social media posts because you have uh, what I call, particularly in the uh, University of North Carolina sports uh, message boards, I call them, um, see in a bar, they're called beer muscles, right? right? And online, they're called keyboard muscles. And, you know, people can be really mean, really nasty, really angry with a keyboard. And then, you know, you put them in a group of uh, 11 other people and they don't have that keyboard they don't have that privacy they don't have that shield to like they're going to actually have to defend themselves in the face of other people so i don't think i'd necessarily advise i don't think i'd necessarily advise a defense attorney to strike somebody that would that posts a lot of you know angry negative shit necessarily because if they cannot articulate that at the group level they're going to be followers so I think that's why the importance of verbal, you know, voir dire is so important to test these people, see what their personality and communication styles are. So for example, you have somebody, okay, we know they're posting a lot of bad stuff. And then during voir dire, they're loud, they're, they're talkative, right? They, they maybe have a little leadership character. Okay, that's a dangerous freaking juror, Steve. Okay, but then you get the very same activity and someone's more shy, they're mousy, milk toast. Why do they why do they say milk toast? I, I what's no wrong with milk toast? That's I, your next I don't know. Question. I don't know where that came from. But anyway, you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think that juror is particularly dangerous for you. So I think it's a piece of information. I don't find it to be a predictive piece of information on its own. I think you'd have to combine it with some other personality and communication skills issues. Oh, I, I think. I agree with you 100%. And I, I, one of the things you said to me that was, I think, really touches it off the most is, are they a leader or are they a mousy? Because we get asked all the time, right? Is I don't want that juror. They have all these different characteristics. And then we, we have to say, well, we'll look at them though. No one's going <laughs> to listen to them. They're going to get into the room and they might be ranting and raving and doing whatever, but they don't have the stature or the ability to command a room. People are just going right. to say, they're going to get the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and you're, you're going to become that person that really the jurors are just going to ignore. And yeah, you might be, you know, saying whatever you're going to say. But to your point is, if you're not a leader, I don't care how extreme your views are, or how much you're going to be angry and stuff. If you can't command a room and no one cares what you say, then you're, you're not a risk. Yeah. All right. Is it my turn? It's my turn, actually. Oh, it's your turn. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I was going to step on your toes there. <laughs> so next question. Have you been seeing higher damage awards post COVID? Now we get asked this all the time because there's an assumption that with COVID people have become a lot more emotional than that. But what are you seeing as far as damage awards? I, I've, I have not seen higher damage awards. 
And, and remember the whole, this, what drives me insane, absolutely insane, which is my next question to you, which you know where I'm going, is there's a lot of myths out there, myth here, myth there, and people just wildly guess on why things are happening a certain way, okay? Nuclear verdicts were alive and well before COVID, okay? They were alive and well, and they're alive and well now. And I just, I'm just telling you, I, during COVID, peri-COVID, and going, hopefully, hopefully, cross our fingers, not going with post-COVID, you and I have been studying this stuff. I haven't seen I, I've you know what I've seen. I've seen remarkable consistency. I really have not seen crazy stuff where I do see crazy stuff, which we did a podcast about is when people get hammered at the airport and they get on a plane and then some, you know, some rude uh, uh, airline uh, airline uh, attendant yells at them about their mask and then you know they get their teeth not. like that's where i'm seeing crazy stuff um we, we talked about the football and baseball games you know guys that are you know you know too many bud lights and they're they're arguing over the game and they're hammering each other this is ex very extreme behavior you get a structured courtroom setting where there's rules it's really a and again you're the social psychologist again it's a state dependent learning thing i think it's you know, you've in a, in, a, in a legal setting or even a mock trial setting, the way we structure it, um, they get into that state and they behave and they think differently than they do at the ballpark. Isn't that isn't that true? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The rules, the rules are a lot different. Like you said, and yeah. you have your bail. If you have your judge, you have the more formal feeling of the courthouse versus the rowdy yeah. rough of the football stadium where everybody's yeah. pounding beers in the parking lot on the way to the stadium. And, and airplane so bottles they sneak in the airplane so, so it's at the duke carolina game which is like the worst experience of my life and i went to uh i went to the men's room at halftime and the whole floor is just littered with airplane bottles nice wow. you gotta do you gotta do like uh my old on, on central michigan remember i sent you that where they yeah they, they caught somebody at the game with a styrofoam cup from the concession stand and then had their their pint of liquor yeah. that they were pouring into it right in the game you know at Wrigley Field the, the best way at Wrigley Field is the suntan lotion bottle that's not a sun you can buy it online and then you, you fill that and then you mm -hmm, suntan lotion you know you don't even have to everybody's always finding ways to your point of the, the... we're in the wrong business we could have started a website on that <laughs> after what I did in college oh I wait we could start just apparatuses apparatus to uh sneak booze into stadiums I mean you know, paying seven, seven, seventeen dollars for a, for a, for a beer at a Dodgers games. You know, that's a little. I think that's a little excessive. I think you're, I think, I think you're reinforcing that negative behavior by jacking that price up so much. Very true. Boy, we got really off track with that one. We did, but that's all right. So I'm gonna get back. I'm gonna get us back on track with the damages because I agree yeah. with you. I mean, I've actually done done some research on it and I've written a little bit about it. Is that, you know. Before COVID hit, we, we saw, you know, the nuclear verdicts like you were talking about. Once COVID, once kind of we were in the throes of, of COVID, we looked at damages. And what we actually found is, you know, you might have seen that the mean damages were, were a little bit higher, but the median damages were actually lower. And kind of the, the prevailing thought behind that is that people were saying, yeah, you know, what happened to this plaintiff is bad, but right now we're all dealing with stuff. We've all been yeah. impacted negatively. So rather than having people be, a highly emotional or be um, overly sympathetic. What you actually saw was was a little bit 
I don't even call it less sympathy, just more of a not not as willing to provide as much money because everybody was going yeah. through something. And I've started to collect more data now after we've been, you know, a, a few years out from COVID. And what I'm seeing is the numbers are going back up to where they were prior to COVID. So that kind of that dip we saw is over. So we're back to more of the pre-COVID numbers. So I would actually say now we're going to be back up and nuclear verdicts have always been around like to your point, but I would say that if anything, COVID didn't increase the, the damage awards it actually decreased it. And now we're back to, you know, a, a more steady level that we were before COVID. It, it's, it's really amazing. And we've talked on this podcast, you know, people are pissed, man. And you have a massive mental health problem in this country. And it just has not been translating into the deliberation room, which is, is quite astounding. Um, but I do think it's the structure in the state dependent learning. So I think we need more time. Right. We need absolutely more, need more time to keep studying it. Okay. Next question. This is a question I'm going to ask and I'm going to answer it myself. And then you can comment, you know, where I'm going. Yeah. There's only one thing that makes me freaking pissed. Uh, one dear thing. Bill, <laughs> dear Bill, why don't you think that social inflation causes nuclear damage? Everybody knows this is the case. Complete bullshit. There is not one iota of scientific evidence. What it actually is, it's the opposite. Okay. I'm not saying there's no such thing as social inflation, right? All your, you know, get your insurance bill lately. Yeah. Okay. Can nuclear verdicts make things more expensive for society? Absolutely. I'm not saying that. But you got knuckleheads out there saying that social inflation causes nuclear verdicts, which makes no sense whatsoever. Number one, logically, right? Number two, there's zero proof, zero evidence, you know, none of that stuff. And everybody, you know what? You know what the again, I'm gonna get in trouble for saying this, but I get in trouble a lot. The insurance defense industry, oh, they love that excuse. Well, it's the jurors' fault. These crazy damn jurors are the ones causing the, it's the social inflation that's pissing the jury off. And then the jury's getting pissed off and tripling these awards. Steve, that's not true. Period. It's not true. There's no one can prove it's true. I've seen zero evidence. That is just, you know what it is? It's a very convenient excuse for people getting hit with nuclear damages and having nuclear settlements. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, I'm going to not take as much heat as you, hopefully, by I'm going to stay away from that. But I agree with a lot of what you're saying, uh, you know, and I think one of the biggest things to, to, to keep in mind is preparation, making sure your witnesses are trained, making sure you understand case facts. And a lot of that is going to help tamper these things down. And I think and that you've said it before on, on a, a LinkedIn post that you did is, you know, you can't really have it both ways, meaning that you can't have social inflation drive up really large verdicts. But then, you know, now you're seeing a slew of several defense verdicts. Like I just sent you one today, right, where there was a defense verdict um, against a really high profile plaintiff attorney. So I guess you can't yeah. have social inflation one time social, and not social inflation another. Wait, yeah, did it, did it disappear? Did it, it, so, so, okay, so let me get this straight, Steve. When you get the, by the way, there's a lot of defense verdicts. But on those verdicts, social inflation just kind of evaporated, right? It, 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 like uh, in the Shawshank Redemption, 
Where did it go? Oh, he evaporated like a fart in the wind. I mean, you, you can't have it on one case and then it just evaporates into the wind on the other. And it's a very illogical argument. We know why people get hit for nuclear verdicts. We've talked about it a million times. It's not the jurors' fault. It's not social inflation. Everybody needs to grow up. Agreed. All right. Any other questions, Bill? I'm out of questions, and you and I have a conference call in 15 minutes. So yeah, agree. We wrap this one up, but yeah, back to the alternative causation, tricky stuff that needs to be tested, so you know where the limitations are. And it's, you know, you may want to admit liability, even though everybody's really uncomfortable, because you know, if you test that and it decreases your damages, I mean, I think you have an ethical responsibility to the client, and uh, you know, everybody wants to fight. I, I get it, and you may not think you did anything wrong, but if, if you've got a loser. Trust me, the plaintiff attorney doesn't like clients that admit liability because it takes away a lot of weaponry, takes right. away a lot of anger because the conduct does not come in, right? The egregious, it doesn't come in really. If it does, it comes down a superficial level and then you're going right to causation. It takes away a lot of the weaponry that plaintiff attorneys really like. So I think that that just needs to be assessed very carefully and you can do that through the both focus group and, and, and mock trial methodology. Steve, take Agreed. us out. I think you summed that up perfectly. Another good podcast. Thanks for joining, Bill. If you need anything, as you always, always reach out to Bill at B Kanasky, K-N-A-S-K-Y at courtroomsciences.com or swood at courtroomsciences.com. You can always find our blogs, additional podcasts, a lot of writing up there that we have at courtroomsciences.com. This has been another edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast brought to you by Courtroom Sciences. We'll see you next time. See you.